The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And our guest today is Linda Losey. She is the co-founder of Bloomery Plantation Distillery. Uh, she co-founded that with Tom Kiefer. And it's a fascinating story. Very eager to get into how this all started. So welcome to the show today, Linda. Hi. Thank you for having me. Well, again, you have a very fascinating story. Uh, you didn't just decide that you one day wanted to open a distillery. Uh, tell us how the inspiration came about. We got an invitation to go to Rome um, for Tom's great-great-aunt Mary McKillop's canonization as Australia's first saint. Oh, my goodness. So why not go? <laughs> yeah, why not? Sure. So um, Tom is U.S. and Australian citizenship, and uh, we got the invitation, so we went. Uh, and while we were there... We experienced limoncello, and the very first limoncello mm-hmm. that I tasted was was not good. It was um, my stepdaughter was there; she's studying abroad. It's what she could afford at the time, and <laughs> and it was um, <laughs> not good. And so, our last night there, we went out to this restaurant that was owned by this small family, you know, mom and pop, and the grandmother in the back of the restaurant, and she's zesting lemons. And we walked in, and uh, they started pulling out like a bottle of wine, like a $4 bottle of wine, and then they went to a $14 bottle of wine and a $40 bottle of wine and wanted us to buy the artwork off the walls. By then, we were ready to. <laughs> and, uh, and they finally pulled out the limoncello, and I was just like, oh, no, 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 no. And they said, no, no, Grandma, she's that, that's that. And they brought it out, and we tried it, and it was to die for. It was awesome. So we brought two bottles home with us, and when we got back, we realized that um, we were going through it far quicker than we had hoped, and uh, <laughs> we were down to the end, and uh, I started buying uh, limoncello off the shelves of America and couldn't find that same flavor profile mm-hmm. that we uh, so loved, and I started making it and, and invited family and friends over to do 23 shots of limoncello, and <laughs> 23. always won in plain taste, <laughs> and always won, so uh, we... we um, my husband went away on a on a trip. He's a civil engineer, and while he was gone, I drew a circle around Baltimore, where we're from, about an hour and a half away, uh, to see if I could find a, a property. And I, I actually found a place on Craigslist in West Virginia, and uh, bought it. And nine months later, we were open for business. Wow. So in the time it takes to birth a baby, you birthed a distillery. That's amazing. Oh, and yeah. I, I mean, seriously, you you just fell so much in love with this limoncello that and you could not find something you liked in the US, so you just decided you were going to recreate it on your own. That that's it was as simple as that. It was as simple as that, but then anybody who's been to Italy uh, falls in love with the history and the hospitality. Mm-hmm. And our, our tagline is history, hooch, and hospitality. <laughs> and we wanted to create that that fun, um, just great, warm, inviting atmosphere that you experience over there, and uh, only American West Virginia style, and, and we certainly have. Uh, and, and that was the goal and what we were creating, a true mm-hmm. American spirit. 
Yeah, and well, what a what a blend or what a marriage too of of hospitality, like you say, uh, the Italian and the the American Southern. Uh, you can't go wrong. So, how long have you been doing this now? Uh, we celebrate celebrated four years in September. All right. Tell us about the distillery. There's a lot of history to it as well. Oh, the building that the distillery's in. Uh, it's a really cool history, which we didn't know when I when I bought it on Craigslist. Um, you know, all that was going to be covered during during it. But the the um, there were three stills on the property back in the 1800s. Back in the 1700s, it was uh, it was it was known as the bloomery, which uh, was a way of making iron. And that supplied the Lewis and Clark expedition with the iron uh, for the ship. 1800s, there were three stills on it. Um, small log cabin uh, uh, on the property on the 12 acres that was part of the 12,000 acres that um, um, uh, Lord Fairfax had when he, he was was here. And then uh, there were two new additions put on in the 1870s, and those were made out of uh, board and batten from boats that ferried people across the Shenandoah River, and they were known as gundalows, the boats. And uh, they would ferry people across the river by day and then run moonshine by night. <laughs> and then Bloomery itself was um, a little tiny hamlet, had a general store like two-tenths of a mile down the road from us. And it was, a, a, I guess, infamous uh, a man who, uh, uh, his name was Papa Stokes. And I used to say this was a legend, but I can now say it's true. Um, and during Prohibition, if you went in, the kids from school would go in and he made a product called Hooky Hooch. And you'd go in and you ask for a tomato, and he'd run out to his coal bin and produce moonshine. And they would float down the Shenandoah River on tubes and skip school drinking their Hooky Hooch. <laughs> the reason I say that it's, it was a legend, it's a very, very tiny distillery, like 50 feet by 16 feet in the tasting room, was 15 feet by 16 feet in this log cabin in the woods. And uh, there, there were two men sitting on either side of the bar, and um, one looked at me and he said, "Oh my goodness!" He said, "Papa Stokes would be rolling over in his grave." And the and the other man said, "Are you kidding me? I knew Papa Stokes. He'd be he'd be having a ball with this." So they laughed, and they came back you know, two hours later with this, this older gentleman who had oxygen tanks and they were helping <laughs> him in, and was like, "Oh my goodness." And he sits down, he goes, go ahead, young lady, tell your story. So, so I told, told the story. He said, absolutely, that is true. My, my grandfather was Papa Stokes, and he'd be so proud, and he'd be laughing in his grave, and you'd carry on with that story. So I do. Oh, no, that's a, that's a great story. Uh, it fits right in with the history there. So this actually, uh, the distillery, had a, a history already of uh, making liquor of some sort uh, many over a century ago, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's yeah. so so. You landed in a good place. Now, ha, you mentioned that there are other um, things on the property. Are have you or are, do you have in the planning stages uh, s- some kind of idea of restoring the whole thing and making it more of a destination, a historical type of experience? It is right now. It currently is. We mm-hmm. have outbuildings on the property, and we certainly put our own stamp on it, but we've restored it um, true to its its. Um, it's uh, uh, what was there before, and uh, it's only been painted twice in its history, and it, it's gold. Um, and the uh, people come up to up the, the driveway, and they say, is it gold because of the lemons? And uh, they say, no, it's gold because that's the color that it once was. Mm-hmm. So the, 
So, um, and then we've added a greenhouse and we grow lemons and we grow ginger and grow pumpkins and we grow cranberries and black walnuts. And it's all so very, uh, just a very cool experience. But you can see the root cellar that was there in the 1850s with the original floor. You can see the original uh, woodshed and hog shed, and then absolutely the uh, the cabin with the two new additions from 1870. Mm, amazing. Uh, it, you're making me want to come out and visit. Now, as far as your product line, you mentioned a whole list of things there that you grow on the property. Obviously, you've expanded beyond the limoncello. Can you talk a little bit about your product line? Sure. Uh, they're all liqueurs. Um, there's four ingredients, and, and most of them all natural. And what we grow a little bit of everything that goes in the bottles, and what we don't grow, we source from other small American farms and uh, those who believe in the same practices that we do. And um, like I said, we have um, you know, the uh, main lemoncello, which was our flagship. We have a creme de lemoncello, which is another Italian uh, liqueur. And then we have uh, a chocolate raspberry and a cranberry clementine and a black walnut. That just took uh, double gold. That's not liqueur in the world. We have the pumpkin spice right now, which is uh, to die for. That was 2015 Good Food Award winner. And, um, uh, and so... We start with 190 proof shine, pure cane sugar, the mountain water, and then the final fresh ingredient. Mm. And uh, we bring it on down from that 190 proof shine to 40 to 70 proof, depending on the on the, um, the liqueur. Yeah, tell us about how you distribute those. If if someone who's listening was interested, for example, in sampling what you produce, can they find it in stores? Do they have to order online, or do they have to come visit you? Uh, there's, uh, we're in seven states on the East Coast, and we're available in 42 states in, in the nation through a, a liquor store who does who ships for us. So uh, there are 42 states that they can ship to. All right. If if we were to Google um, your distillery, would it tell us where that's available then? Yes. If okay. you If you go to bloomerysweetshine.com, you okay. would find us and uh, tells you how to purchase. All right, uh, so bloomerysweetshine dot com, and you can find out how to obtain a bottle or two or three <laughs> of of uh, some of this product. Let's talk about how you were able to ramp up in nine months. Did you have any experience in this area before you decided you were going to open a distillery and produce this? What What did you have to do in order to be in business? Um, I've always been a person with uh, patience and perseverance and a vision, and uh, so it was that part of it I, I I could run with, and I saw it, and could feel it, and taste it, and, 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 and knew I could produce it. The uh, the hardest part, I mean, a lot of people think that the hardest part is, is all of the, the paperwork, and the regs, and navigating that, and and they'd be right, but the TTB part of it, the uh, federal level part of it, was actually not as difficult as I thought. We were one mm-hmm. of the uh, quickest to, to get through in our in our paperwork there. And the state, they embraced us and said, you know, basically that if you go a certain amount of your raw agricultural ingredients, come on over, and we would absolutely embrace this. Uh, but on a local level, that's where we ran into uh, some some of our our toughest struggles because. On the local level, they had never, they didn't even have a winery in this county, let alone a distillery. So they didn't know what to do with us and how to um, to uh, move us through. And <laughs> and you know, it's on 12 acres in the middle of nowhere, and they were applying 
um, subdivision lots to us where they had to have curbs come down the driveway mm-hmm. and, um, you know, huge uh, cement abutment. Uh, you know, just it was crazy. And they were going to take down the property had 200 year old oak trees on it, and they wanted to take down the oh. the, um, the trees in order to put in this 70 foot by like, seven foot water retaining pond because of the runoff from the from the, the roof that had been there for 200 years. So um, that part of it was difficult, but to their credit, God bless them, they, they sat in a room, talked it out, figured it through without having to bend in or break any rules, and they got it through not as a, you know, the subdivision, but as a as a farm distillery, mm-hmm. and uh, and were able to keep character of the of the, uh, the land, which is a huge part of the experience. Out oh, there. yeah, the ambiance. I can't imagine if you had to uh, redo all that or, or cut so many of the trees down and so forth. So you had all of these different regulations to navigate. What about the business itself or the product itself, I guess, is more like it. Did you know anything about producing this, or was it kind of a chemistry experiment for you? I love to give birth. I love to create. <laughs> um, and um, I have four children, and, and, you know, I just love to create. And that, that for me, is reward in doing it. So, And I, I can figure things out, and, um, you know, I was able to create a recipe uh, that, you know, works and has won gold medals, and, and, um, and then each product. But I do it on a small batch, and one of the, the stories that uh, happened is I was trying to get the chocolate raspberry, and I just could not get the chocolate raspberry. It just, you know, mm-hmm. just something was not right with it. And my husband, who's a civil engineer, you know, he'd scratch his, his chin, and he'd be like, uh, have you considered? And I was just <laughs> like, no, let me just do this. I can do it. So I finally I'm out there in the kitchen, and I knew I struck gold, and I knew I struck Eureka, and I was there, and and he heard me jumping around, and he's like, you got it? And I said, now take it and batch it and scale it for me so we can produce it on the big level. And um, and so, yeah, so I, I love I love the tinkering and the creating part of it and getting it right. What is your inspiration for new recipes? Oh, um, just, you know, we talk to customers, we see what's out on the market, and then we also just, I just love... We we do what's called an artisanal blend of vice and virgin, and uh, if you look on our website, it'll show like some something like raspberry lemon is considered a virtue, whereas the black walnut is considered a vice, and it just depends on what it goes with, and what kind of cocktails it makes, and and so we're always looking at the flavor profiles of how that works. I have I have a tremendous mixologist on staff, and and um, and another guy who just is is fabulous in, in making um, flavors sort of go together and sit around, and, and we taste and tinker and talk. Yeah, I bet you're never short of tasters, willing tasters on this. Uh, okay, so you started this out of nothing, uh, just you know, an idea, uh, trying to find, replicate something that you fell in love with on a trip to Italy. How did you get the word out about it? What's your marketing plan been? It's interesting. Um the, the, my team. There's 17 people on our on our team, and um, from farm to uh, production to sales, and the teaching experience. And uh, we've done everything just through our team and word of mouth, and and getting it going. And I knew that social media was, was going to be a part of it. And I I was in the cavalry, and there was a, a 24 year old girl who um, needed a job, and I, I took her on, and I said, listen, I said. I know you as as um, my staff sergeant. I said, but 
can you handle my social media? And uh, she was just like, I know nothing about social media. And I said, I, you're young. You can figure this out. I believe in you and you can do this. And by golly, if she didn't, she's really um, figured it out, has studied it, has researched it, and is the voice of Bloomery on Facebook. And we have over 10,000 followers. And it's because of her voice and how she posits things and how she does it. And I, that's, as a leader, I believe in doing that and mm-hmm. surrounding yourself with good people and letting them run and, you know, giving them vision but letting them run and, uh, and, and you know, certainly keep them watch over it because it's right. a brand out there. Of course. But, um, yeah, but but letting yeah, but but um, helping people uh, carve out a niche for themselves and and really let their talent shine. That that's yes, mm-hmm. it's very much a sign of a good leader. Uh, one one quick question before we go to break. So, who is your target for this? I mean, I'm sure anybody who wants it, you're obviously willing to sell to them. But do you have a specific target um, that you're appealing to a segment of the population? Um, Age range, or we thought it, we we thought. I mean, our target, of course, you know, was millennials. We, uh, mm-hmm. That's who we thought it was going to be, and it certainly, certainly is. But guess what? It's also their moms. <laughs> it's the people who want to experience um, the, you know, uh, sort of the cocktail culture, and not what your grandparents used to drink, but with mm-hmm. a twist. Exactly. So uh, there's a lot of people who love to to play, and that's mm-hmm. what we do with the cocktail playground. Yeah, the uh, millennials certainly are bringing the cocktail back. And as you say, it's with a twist, Mm -hmm. though. I mean, uh, so it's been interesting to watch that develop. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to continue our conversation here with Linda Losey and find out more about the distillery as well as a book that she's written. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tamika Bryant. And I'm Christy Porter. We're here to talk about real estate that matters. We're going to talk about everything real estate. Anything you want to know from buying a house to selling a house, from investing in real estate to flipping real estate. We invite you to listen every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. or on demand with our podcast. Right here on Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio at blogtalkradio.com. Just tune in at 9 o'clock Thursday. (laughs) Yeah, squirrel. (laughs) Can we just do that? 9 o'clock, don't touch it. Just sit by your radio and wait. We all want to run a smarter business, but how? The answer is Shopkeep the iPad-based point-of-sale system that makes it easy to run a smarter business from accepting payments, tracking inventory, running marketing campaigns, and managing employees. Shopkeep does it all, taking the guesswork out of running your business. Shopkeep is just $49 per month with no long-term commitment. That includes Shopkeep Pocket, the app that lets you see your business's key performance data in real time, wherever you may be. Visit shopkeep.com forward slash smart today to begin your free trial. That's shopkeep.com forward slash smart. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with Linda Losey. She is the co-founder of Bloomery Plantation Distillery. She told us the story of how on a trip to Italy, she fell in love with their limoncello, came back, tried to find that in the U.S., couldn't quite find the right flavor profile, and so they decided to go ahead, she and her husband Tom decided to go ahead and start making it on their own. And they bought a place in West Virginia, and that's where the distillery currently is. They make all kinds of different spirits now, liqueurs. Let's talk a little bit about 
some of the challenges that you had. You mentioned, you know, just developing the property, but what other kind, and, and you know, sometimes the inspiration for the recipes, the creative, um, that, that doesn't always come out exactly or flow the, exactly the way that you want it to or on the timeline that you want it to. But um, in addition to that, have there been any other challenges that you've run across? Oh, my goodness, yes. We we closed we closed down in February oh, of really? uh, this past year and just uh, reopened. Uh, the we're not profitable. We've had sixty thousand people come through the distillery, and we were, we weren't profitable. And we we were trying to figure out what was going on after three years in business mm-hmm. and not being profitable. And it wasn't because of our expenses, and it wasn't because of our payroll. But in breaking it all down and really scrutinizing it, um, we had to pay, um, if you can envision your living room and your kitchen together, and um, having to move product from one side of the living room to the, or from the kitchen to the living room as your tasting room, and we had to pay a 28% markup fee. Then we had to, um, um, so we had to sell the product to ourselves, pay the state 28% oh and buy it gosh. back to sell it retail. And then... Um, and then we had to um, pay three liquor stores in our zone ten percent of everything we sold out of our our our, our tasting room. So not only did we have to pay twenty eight percent, we had to pay an additional ten percent on retail, and wow. so we were giving away thirty eight percent to people who never even touched it, saw it, tasted it, did anything with it. Yeah. On and top, it yeah, yeah, on top of the cost of produce, just the cost of producing it and your payroll and keeping up, you know, the mm-hmm. distillery itself. So your margins were getting squeezed terribly. Oh, I'll, I'll really, and that's on, that's on top of or in addition right. to the normal excise taxes and mm-hmm. liquor taxes and everything else that we have to pay. So it was killing us. And uh, we met with the state back in, in November, and I said, listen, I said, there's something wrong in your business business model here and how you're trying to, to do this. I said, it's just crazy. And as we uncovered it, we, we learned that um, as craft distilleries uh, began to blossom back in, uh, it started, this started taking off in, in 2000, that the um, uh, the state had sort of fostered them in under these original blue laws and uh, prohibition-style laws and got them in. And it was supposed to end in 2010, which is when we started. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't presented that way to us. And when we, when it didn't go away, we're just like, "What's going on?" And they said, "Oh, sorry, but this is the way it is." And we said, "No, really, we can't operate. We we can't continue to lose money." Mm-hmm. So they said, "Well, you don't matter." And we said, "What do you mean we don't matter?" And they said, it, "Well, you don't matter. So we're just going to keep it the same. We can't change it." And we said, "No, that's not a good enough answer." So we ended up um, saying, well, look, you're going to put 17 people out of work here. We can't continue on. And they said, you don't matter. And mm-hmm. so I, I announced on social media that we were closing our doors. And uh, and I'll tell you, the fans, they just rallied. They shut down the <laughs> governor's inbox uh, wow. three days in a row. Uh-huh. And, wow. um, and we had three days to draft legislation because the time to submit legislation was closing on Valentine's Day, actually. So we shut our doors and drafted legislation, found a senator to put it through, got it uh, presented, and uh, and we won. Um, and they, they changed the laws for us effective just this past July. So we're just now starting to see the light based on the change in regulations. But that was huge. It was heart, heart-wrenching to, to make that decision and know that you... But but what All that you had built was was going to be lost. Yeah, but but what a great outcome, uh, and and what a way to fight for it. There are so many. I mean, 
I've worked on behalf of small businesses for so many years, and one of the biggest hurdles is the regulations uh, that small mm-hmm. businesses get entangled with that, in, like in your case, they really weren't meant for you. They were meant for larger corporations or to mm-hmm. rectify somebody else who had done something bad, <laughs> and yet everybody mm-hmm. everybody gets saddled with them, and it makes it so difficult to operate. So good for you and your fan base for getting that overturned and getting the new legislation pushed through. You know, you, you have done other things, and in many ways this does not surprise me, knowing a little bit more about your story, and that which brings me to your book. Um, you have a book that talks about your journey across America on horseback. Tell us about that. Back in 2004, um, in between the deaths of, uh, of my two sons, I uh, rode across America on horseback, and my youngest son, Sam, they both died tragically, and my youngest son, Sam, before he died in uh, 2004, he wanted to ride across America on a horse. And he was amused. He was my riding partner. He was my um, artist. I mean, just a renaissance man at 10. And he had written to a feed company, that, I, and I didn't know he had done this, um, to sponsor his trip across America. And uh, he really wanted to do this. And I said, someday, honey, we will. And I showed him how to map and plot the route. So he had actually plotted uh, from Maryland through West Virginia and Ohio before he died on, on the horse trip that he was going to take. And eight months after he he passed away, um, the feed company that he had contacted called me, and they said, you know, can we talk to Sammy? And I said, I'm sorry, you seem may not. He said, he's not with me. Mm-hmm. And and they said, well, when he gets home, and I said, no, I said, he's passed, and there was dead silence. And, and um, they explained who they were, and they said, you know, so we were going to sponsor the feed for his journey across America. And um, they said, would you like to go? And I said, no. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I would. And um, and so in three months' time, I I had put it all together, and it was just me, and I had two horses, my two horses with me, and they drop shipped um, every five days food for the horses at beauty salons, at hair salons, at barber shops, at <laughs> restaurants. At, you know, every eighteen miles, there's there's a journey, or there's a, a town in America, and that's how I got it along. And um, it was the only support I had, but it was tremendous for my horses, that's for sure. And I, I pretty much survived on trail mix, but um, <laughs> uh, it, it was just a, a, a wonderful journey of healing. Mm-hmm. And the people in America are, I'm telling you, 99.9% so very good. And of yes. course, their stories that were. In a, you know, a woman traveling alone across America where my mother thought I was crazy and was. Um, but I was also grieving and thought I was invincible. Mm-hmm. And um, little did I know that I, I was not. Um, and, uh, you know, upon returning 18 months later, my, my eldest son passed away. Mm-hmm. And um, But the journey across America really helped me to deal with grief. And I slept with the Navajos and, and just, I mean, just really embraced the universe and all that is and can be and, and was. Yeah, and if anybody wants to get that book, where can they find the book? Is that through your website, too? It's on, uh, no, it's okay. on um, it's on Amazon, okay. um, and uh, it's called The Great God Hunt. Um, and I wrote that when I, when I returned from my journey, and um, but then I had to change the ending after... Um, my my eldest son passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to reading that actually over the holidays. Uh, it's on my list to do because um, you know I went out and read a little bit about it, and as you say, so so many stories. And do you think that 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 also prepared you 
for the journey that you're on now, you know, some of the struggles and some of the challenges and that fighting spirit that allowed you to stay open? Do you think that there was uh, that was something that helped you? Um, rather than the fighting spirit, I think that it, it has enabled me to see um, life as it is as a journey. I used mm-hmm. to think that, you know, it was always about the obstacle and getting over the obstacle. And once you got over the obstacle, you, you've made it. You know, and it's not. It is the obstacle. Mm-hmm. And getting over the obstacle just gives you a reprieve to tackle the next challenge. And uh, so it, 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 it allowed me to sort of breathe and to, to um, just be and be that way um, and know that it all it all falls in place. You know, you got to keep pushing through. you got to keep taking steps. you got to keep moving it. But that I, I don't fret anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't worry. Mm-hmm. I, it's all without, it's all not within my control, And but yet it is. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an interesting perspective and dynamic that I have to deal with. Yeah, uh, we have so appreciated your time telling your entrepreneurial story, telling us uh, here your philosophy on life and how that has changed. So one more time, your, your website for anybody that's interested in your uh, liquor products and your book uh, is on Amazon, the title of your book, one more time. The Great God Hunt. The Great God Hunt is a book. You can find that on Amazon. And your uh, distillery website? The Bloomery Sweet Shine. That's B-L-O-O-M-E-R-Y, Bloomery Sweet Shine. BloomerySweetShine.com. Thank you so much again for sharing your story today. Best of luck to you, and thank you for everything that you're doing on behalf of other business owners because uh, I'm sure you realize it, but if if you don't, the kinds of things that you are doing uh, are helping other business owners as well. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at IThinkBigger.com. Follow us on Facebook at Thinking Bigger Business Media or on Twitter at IThinkBigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.